Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy Ten Two edition of Normandy FM. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing today? Mm, I'm tired. I know, working, right? on, working on a headache, but mm. I'm here. I'm doing it. We're still here. It's fine. As, as Ken is acutely aware, I have slept maybe... I'm trying to count up. I think I'm up to like 10 hours over the last 72 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's not enough. Yeah, my body's just like, hey, guess what? We're going to create problems. But, uh, you know, I just got out of a nap, so I should be uh, up and raring to go here. Should be good to go. So this will be high energy for at least mm. the first half. <laughs> um, and we're here to talk about Final Fantasy X-2 today. We're wrapping up Chapter 3. Uh, a, a chapter of multitudes, let me tell you. I think... I don't want to get too deep into it because we can talk more at the end, but I will just say that by the time I finished this section, I felt like I had seen the best and the worst of what Final Fantasy X-2 has to offer, if that makes sense. I feel like I've now seen the breadth of this game contained in a single chapter Uh, because we had a lot happen. I mean, we did the Sphere Break (laughs) tournament, which I I will put squarely. Yeah, I would put squarely. I don't know if I'd say it's the best part. But it is definitely a part. It's not the worst part either. We're talking about the worst part today. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I actually, I'd say the worst part is probably, we only lightly touched on this last time, but uh, I finished up the Cactuar collecting mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is easily my least favorite part of this game so far. Um, that sounds the, about right. The worst mini game. And also something that we'll talk a little bit more about when we talk about the Calm Lands and the Cavern of the Stolen Faith. But uh, some clear sign points that this was a game made before we had maybe, let's say, established better norms of how open world games should function Mm -hmm. in terms of quest design and things like that. Or even not even quest design, just... um, it's, it's, so to give specific exa- examples here, uh, with the Cactar stuff, you can only accept a mission to go find the Cactars one at a time. You cannot just get a batch of them and then head back, which I, I feel like most open world games let you do that sort of thing now. They'll basically say, hey, this new collectible, this new minigame mm-hmm. is out there, go find it. And it'll just be everywhere and you report back in when you report back in uh, and you dump however many you have with you. Whereas this one is very come here, do a thing, go somewhere else, do a thing, come back, do a thing. And it's very back and forth and back and forth going through a lot of menus and travel time. Uh, it was also in the section that I started making good use of the, I think it's the charm, the charm bangle, the charm bracelet, mm-hmm. uh, which makes you avoid <laughs> enemy encounters because I, you know, I do like the job experience, but I'm kind of at the point where my classes are getting locked in. And also I am very over leveled for where I'm at. I think I, I cleared the end of this around level 35, 34 or something like that. Mm. Uh, I feel very overly powerful for where I am. And so the, the constant random encounters, what feels like constant random encounters in this game, especially when you're having to do so much backtracking uh, doesn't feel so great. So, mm. uh, 
I do feel like those friction points kind of reared their head here, but also like we're starting to deal with more interesting dress spheres. We're starting to deal with more interesting uh, boss battles themselves, I think are actually getting uh, cooler at least um, and, and posing some interesting questions that we'll get to. Uh, And overall, I feel like the combat system is clicking for me in a way that feels like almost an evolved version of Final Fantasy V in a way, mm. like somewhere in the middle point between Final Fantasy Thirteen and Final Fantasy V, which is kind of wild when you think about it. Mm. Uh, and I'm enjoying it a lot for that. But where are you where are you at with like Chapter Three? What is probably the largest chunk of Final Fantasy in this game? I think. I mean, it was interesting. Although, I mean, I guess now I'm thinking about like the, the math of it. I think you probably are about level where I probably would expect somebody to be at this point. Because I generally, I, I recall from, like, not necessarily completionist um, places of this game, I usually ended the game in, like, the 50 or so range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm kind of on track for that now, but I think I, I haven't necessarily noticed any issues of me feeling, like, overleveled, and I think mm, maybe it just kind of feels kind of natural to me at this point because I've played this game as many times as I have and know it as well as I do at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, it is, I mean, Chapter 3 broadly is the biggest or the second biggest stretch of game because like chapter five is uh about as much if not more um mm. that does kind of you know it feels like the game's really firing on all cylinders here of like all like the variety of things that will allow you to do you know for good and for ill because you know like like the, the character thing is that thing i actually don't know if i've ever finished in its entirety when anytime i've played this game so like, we're, i guess we're starting to reach the points of uh Parts where you know it's almost like the game kind of gatekeeps by being obnoxious in ways, mm. but yeah, like I, I do agree with you that we're we're, we're seeing some of the uh, the quality of life things that you know other games that came later would maybe get more right. And I don't know that every issue that like and, you know, we've talked about this, like I don't know if everything that they have done is necessarily a design issue more than it is maybe like a clarity issue. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, there's a very specific instance we'll get to in a second. But yeah, I'm still I'm still just very much enjoying this game, and I feel like. It has been interesting watching somebody that has not played it all the way through play it, because I feel like we are starting to lean in a lot of the same strategies, in a way. Yeah. Uh, and, mean, I, and, I, and I also don't like don't know how much of that is, like, by, like, you know, suggestion. Like, I, I'm saying these things, and then they stick into your brain as, like, a possible strategy or something, and then, like, you're like, okay, I'm going to switch to this person on this dress sphere, combine it with this, handle, handle situations this way, and I guess, like, this is the nature of a somewhat collaborative show, I guess, that Normandy FM is. We are playing well, together that's bouncing off ideas in some way or another let me put a note on that so i i think this is good while we don't have guests on while it's just the two of us to to really uh dive into kind of where we're at with the combat in specifics so my my go-to party has been pain as the physical damage dealer although in this previously i'd been using unerring path because pain was mostly just sticking to one class maybe mm-hmm. swapping to another uh, I originally thought that Pain was going to be my gun mage and would be picking up some of the blue bullet stuff, but now uh, Pain is kind of just serving as my physical damage dealer, mostly on Dark Knight. Uh, I found I don't really like Berserker that mm. much compared to Dark Knight. I like Dark Knight more. Dark Knight feels more consistent and feels mm-hmm. more... Um, is able to handle like crowds and stuff. I like yeah. that it has uh darkness as an aoe and all that uh and so obviously with that i needed a healer and previously riku had been a white mage but an issue that i'd already been encountering and that became more 
exacerbated in this chapter was that MP is at a premium in this game. Mm. Uh, and so obviously White Mage has prey and vigor to kind of keep everyone uh, topped off and actually hit max White Mage with Riku uh, while playing this section. But I started on your suggestion checking out Alchemist because mm-hmm. I did not know that Alchemist eventually gets abilities that lets them not just mix and use items, but uh, basically pull items out of their ass mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to be like free item, uh, which becomes very useful, not just because MP is at a premium, but because shell affects healing in this game. Right. And I can't remember if it does that in many other final fantasies, uh, but it does do that in this game. And also, obviously if you have reflect up and things like that, then you don't want to be using cure right. because that will get reflected. Um, so I do find that overall I'm liking the alchemist class a lot, just generally as a healing class. It reminds me a lot of the chemist from Final Fantasy Tactics, which is mm. another item-based healing class that I can't remember. I want to say they also have some pull items out of their ass abilities, but I might be mm. wrong there. Um, they definitely have stuff like auto potion and things like that. Right. Um, and with with Riku... She's mostly been on that, sometimes bouncing over to White Mage, but never really touching Black Mage because I feel like magic, where I'm at in the game, is just not useful. Mm-hmm. It's just not doing anything for me. Uh, right. Physical damage really seems to be useful in this game. So uh, that's that brings me to Yuna, and Yuna is kind of the character I'm still figuring out. Uh, I had her on Lady Luck for a while. I don't think Lady Luck is bad because it kind of just feels like a better version of the gunner to me mm. uh, in in terms of dealing a variety of damage and setting up chain attacks very well. Uh, mm. You know, the two dice is very useful for kind of creating a chain that then Pain can jump into and do damage in the middle of with Dark Knight and, and get a really good combo off. Uh, but I'm also not feeling like it's doing enough of what I want it to do. So I'm starting to look at having Yuna be a gun mage and acquiring mm. some of those abilities because gun mage, you know, the blue mage class of this game actually feels pretty substantial and feels mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, might be one of my favorite blue mage integrations in a final fantasy, a class that is notoriously difficult to figure out and solve. Uh, I'm liking it a lot in this game, and I already have some good abilities. Uh, I picked up Blaster from the Coral and and a few others, uh, and I'm finding that it's it's pretty useful. And that also lets me have Yuna kind of freewheel around to different things, whether I need maybe right. a Songstress, maybe I need another White Mage, maybe I need uh, you know a Death Knight or something. I was looking at running a dual Death Knight composition mm. for a little while, uh, although I kind of doubled back on that when it seemed a little excessive but uh Mm. yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at with the combat uh Mm. i do feel like it i'm waiting for it to pose a few more puzzles to me than the ones it has because there is one really good puzzle fight that we'll talk about in this game uh or in this section of game uh that i enjoyed but I do feel like the other fights here, I was mostly just, I, I had to alter pain to uh, be able to use warrior abilities again. So mm. that way I could apply all the breaks and then swap to dark Knight. 
but that kind of just became an added step, kind of like how I would put Riku on White Mage to start so I could get off Protect and Shell and then go over to Alchemist so I could start healing everyone. Uh, it's... I'm trying to figure out what the end game of this game looks like, and it increasingly feels like the dress sphere options are narrowing the further in I go. Yeah, I think, I mean, to some extent that it comes from, like, naturally, like, you are using certain dress spheres more than others. Mm-hmm. So it just becomes more mm-hmm. practical, I guess, to, like, stick with the ones that you have leveled right, into. Right. And, um, you know, so I think, like, if you want to, like, you know, have this more expansive roster of abilities you kind of have to like go out of your way to do that and right. that is like you know a time investment that i mean i think the game like would reward you if you went that far and i think like we haven't got to a lot of the end game fights yet or and by that i mean more along the lines of the stuff we did not do when we did our, our 10 season and i'm talking about like the uh you know the very excessive like you know pro level strats that you gotta oh yeah like yeah. min maxing the sphere grid yeah. and uh setting it up so you have like one MP cost auto potion mm-hmm. filled with X potions and right. uh, using the, was it the first f- fast strike, whatever the one that makes it so it can't quick hit. Uh, be dodged or whatever quick hit. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That stuff gets real wild, real fast. Yeah. And tends to like definitely has like equivalent stuff that we will probably watch on YouTube. But um, like, yeah, like I was saying, like I think if you, that depth is there you kind of have to like go out of your way to make it in a way. Um, mm. But yeah, as far as you know, like my go-to dress fears, like we have a similar setup happening here. Cause like pain is primarily my physical damager. I kind of going back and forth between berserker and warrior warrior. Cause she has like, you know, all those elemental attacks as well as the breaks. But for the reasons that we talked about before, like I don't really jive with dark Knight because it is so slow. Like, and it doesn't feel like it is rewarding to me in the same way as berserker, which is one of the fastest classes in the game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um where riku is like basically identical to what you said like white mage is more for protective abilities and alchemist is where you go for the healing that is not being you know sabotaged by your own setups mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. i think that's and i think that's like you know one of the really interesting instances of the dress fear system just being like okay i started out with white mage you know as you know this kind of de facto healer for whatever i'm doing but like now there are ways that i can use this class in new ways that will be better complemented by something else and ultimately like i think lead to just a more altogether more efficient healer uh mm-hmm. in the alchemist where yuna has been for me yeah like she's kind of been a flex character but not in a way that is like i'm having her fill a certain role it's more just like i'm switching around to keep things interesting for myself i guess because like i've got mm. her spec on uh lady luck songstress trainer which is again like that's like uh, the trainer one specifically is, you know, it's a, um, it's a dress that doesn't have, like, a specific utility that you could, like, you know, that you can easily sum up. It's just more like, it's almost like a gimmick in a way, but it's also just fun. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's fun to, like, have, you know, this dog that I'm sticking on people. But I think, I mean, it's not, it's not the most exciting answer, but I think where she generally ends up being most useful to me is still as a gunner. Because gotcha. we, we you're talking about, like, how Lady Luck has the, the die. She can throw out and, you know, get, like, you know, a chain combo. I generally leaned on Trigger Happy, the, you know, the almost, like, QTE ability that the gunner has right. to, you know, right. rap, do rapid-fire uh, attacks that both were, like, leading to chains. But I also really prefer that as this kind of, uh, it, 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 like, stalls fights in certain ways because, like, 
when you attack an enemy using that, they flinch every shot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that gives Riku or Pain time to you know, fill up their ATV bar and get to whatever ability they might be charging it for while I'm still doing damage and still, you know, leaving uh, a, a chain for them to, you know, really, you know, come in with like a really powerful final shot. Um, mm. But yeah, so like unit kind of, you know, shifts around depending on just like my mood more than anything else. But Gunner, I think is where I found like, that's kind of my, after I do the, you know, some of the debuffs and buffs with Songstress, um, that's usually what I switch back to just because I feel like that delay I, I can put onto enemy attacks has been really good, you know, in a, in a game where timing is everything. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, again, it's not, it's not very exciting to stay on what is our default class, but I think it's just, you know, so it's, like I was saying, like you spend so much time in a certain class, you get all these abilities and all this different utility. It kind of feels detrimental to like spend a whole lot of time trying to do things that are like, you know, do that with other classes that are maybe adjacent in how you would use them and not necessarily like there's a, a very definitive other use here that the gunner cannot fill because well, like i said like the trainer it's fun it's, it's like it's a cute thing but like in terms of like the actual role of what it does it is damage it is you know, sometimes like magic but also like it's like physical damage with like a why did i just blank on the word i wanted to use elemental affinity yeah that's that is exactly the word i wanted to use um but and, and lady luck is again like it's a gimmick and it's fun and i like it, and like i said it was one of my main classes for her Back in the day, so like there's almost like a, a nostalgic element to it as well, but hmm. I like when she shoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's nice when it matches up with the uh, you know what they're wearing in the cutscenes and things like that too, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about the combat in a second. We do have uh, one thing we forgot to bring up last week, but probably fits better into this week either way, uh, which is. Scene that happens if we visit Bavel during all of this, um, and and specifically, I think it has to be after we've done certain things. But uh, I'm not 100 percent on that. I want to say it's after we've seen Gipple at mm. uh, Jose once. Uh, either way, we are following the uh, Keyblade Guide still, uh, and this was on the second visit that we saw this, which is basically we head back to Yevon and go down the portal, down the the lift that is just publicly accessible in Bavel, uh, to the place where Vegnagun was being held and, uh, through all those corridors and stuff, uh, we end up following Gipple through there. Um, we're like, Hey, what's he doing down here? Uh, we eventually get to the spot where Vegnagun was. And this is, I will point this out cause we did hit the point, um, when we get to Kilika later, I, I think I specifically remember Kilika being the farthest I got whenever I played this when I was younger. And I definitely don't remember ever seeing this scene mm-hmm. when I was playing it before. And when looking at the ways to get this scene, which ends up being very story critical, I think. Right. Uh, definitely feels weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, back over it. I mean, it's interesting because like, it is... Like you said, it's story critical, but it's also, like, I guess speaks to the way that, like, the game is introducing, or not even introducing story elements, I guess, but, like, is being more expository in the margins of the things that you have to do. Because this is a thing that you can completely miss, but it also, like, it, I mean, it's critical in terms of, like, you understanding why everyone's doing stuff, but it's not necessarily critical in terms of 
your understanding of the plot of Final Fantasy X too, I guess. Hey. Because, I, I mean, I, I think that's just kind of the thing that's interesting about, you know, the, the second playthrough of this game and the way that it's structured to kind of, like, have things that are very easily missable. But if you, you know, you finish the game and you understand, I guess, like, how it functions as this almost open-world thing where time is passing whether you're there or not, um, I think that then you, like, know to go looking for those things. But it also is another example of, like, why this game, the best way to play it is with a guide. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was driving at is like there there's kind of three layers to this, right? They're the events that everybody gets no matter what, you know, they're the hotspot events. Okay. And, and then and then there's like the second tier which is you know the missions that are on the non-hotspot areas that you might not have noticed in the first place uh if you're just bouncing from hotspot to hotspot uh which I think was a large majority of what I did when I played this game originally was I mostly did the hotspots because I did not really fully realize that things were happening in other places mm. and all that. Um, or even that I should go looking for it. I know I did play sphere grid at, at one point or sphere sphere break uh, when I was younger, but um, there, there are those things that's like tier one and tier two, right? Tier three is, who the hell was ever supposed to figure out that this was down here? Because to get to the Bevel thing, you'd have to visit Bevel, uh, run all the way to the back, go to the lift. Remember that the lift was a thing, and not only was a thing, but use the switch that you used previously to swap it to the other direction. So even if you got curious and came back well, and hit the lift button you wouldn't go to this scene right away. You'd have to remember the thing that you did previously in chapter two with the lift. Well, I mean, it does have, to its credit, like, it does have that scene. Well, it's not even a scene, I guess. But, like, you see Barrelai, like, up in the, like, rafters of Bavel, And then, or not Barrelai, Gipple. You see Gipple. And then Rika's like, oh, is that Gipple? Where is he going? And then I guess that's what, I guess, leads you to, like, I guess back here. Because, like, at that point, you keep going and i guess for every room you don't see him in you assume it has to be a little bit further which leads you back down to eventually where we were when we fought behind it um yeah it's it's just so out of its way in a way that i don't know how folks were supposed to find some of this stuff without a guide um and, and it feels very very out of its way and granted they covered some of this later uh in later on in this chapter so obviously even if you miss the main part of it uh we still get some of it but you don't get all of it you don't get the party dealing with it so let's talk about it uh once we get down to where Vegnagun was located and where we fought bahamut previously uh we find gipple nuge and barrel so now we know where the missing leaders of new yevon and the youth league are they're still hanging out down here <laughs> underneath uh the uh, underneath the giant dome in bevel and uh gipple you know we're, we're spying the three of us are spying on them you know ricky Payne are, are are spying on the on the three boys and gipple's walking up and is like hey what are y'all doing here you know it's the place is going to hell without y'all um and they kind of start almost kind of joking with each other in a way you can tell there's a familiarity mm. between them. Uh, 
which is weird because they are ostensibly at odds with each other. Right. And uh, Barely says, there's something I need to be sure of. Vegnagun is gone. And Nuge says, well, listen to you. Vegnagun is gone. Are you trying to tell us that since that thing left on its own, Yevon's not to blame? So they're kind of still blaming each right. other in a way. Uh, but Barely points out that once Vegnagun senses hostility, even if you think it, even if you conceive of it uh it awakens and like a frightened child runs away because someone was thinking about destroying it and so they're all confused they're all looking around and uh Barely finally turns to nuge and is like hey you you did this didn't you you came here to claim it for yourself why why'd you want to do it you hated it uh did you come here to use it or destroy it and Nuge is like both. You're probably you probably think that's impossible, but you've always been too naive to see. You wouldn't understand. And then they bring up something. Um, Barrelize like I thought. Yeah, you know, I believed in you once when we were working for the Crimson Squad, and mm-hmm. that that should probably tick a little a, a little ping in, in your brain if you remember uh, some of the stuff we've been seeing on the Crimson Spheres and and other collectibles that we've been getting. Um, Two years ago, they remembers they were training for the the Crimson Squad, but then Nuge betrayed them and shot Barely and Gibble. Um, and so Barely pulls out a gun and, and aims it at Nuge. And then Gipple pulls out a gun and aims it at Barely. And then Nuge starts glowing and then pulls out a gun and aims it at Gipple. Mm-hmm. So we get the perfect standoff. Um and then there's like a weird moment. Oh, also, I'm trying to remember exactly. Yeah, okay. You were easy targets, you and Pain. Mm. And so now we get revealed that Pain was involved in all this too. Uh this Crimson Squad thing. And then some pyreflies start to float around and they kind of move from Nuge into Barely. And then Barely starts acting weird and is like, see, I found the mind, the mind that hates despair, that hates and despairs. I'm sorry. The mind that hates and despairs is the easiest to break. Two years ago, it was the same with you, Nuge, seeking your own death. Now you can have it. And Barely is about to shoot Nuge and then Pain runs in out of nowhere and is like, stop, no. And Nuge is like, Pain, get out of here. And then Amaro just... Or not not the cigarette the Malboro <laughs> shows up yeah Joe Campbell shows up out of nowhere and breaks the whole thing up um, smoking kills yeah literally uh, the Malboro shows up I wonder if the Malboro is a commentary on smoking making your breath bad I've never thought about that mm. before but now makes, I'm make you think about yeah things that make you think um so we fight one of these goofy Malboros, which we've killed like probably at least 12 of up to this point. They're not that difficult. Um, and then Barely escapes and Nuge and Gipple uh, take off after him. Um, and uh, yeah, we're kind of left standing here. And Yuna's like, so you knew all three of them. Mm. Uh, and Payne's like, yeah. Nuge shot us. <laughs> it was an accident. That's how I see it. 
And Riku says, why didn't you tell us? And Pain said, you never asked. And Riku said, I'm asking now. You don't want to tell us. And Pain's like, yeah, mm. I, I don't want to. And Yuna decides that forcing someone to tell somebody else something is not any good. So we'll wait until you're ready. Um, who's to say what's happening here, really? It's just, it's um, a lot. Like, I... I do distinctly remember, like, I had not seen this scene the first time I played the game through. And a point where we're going to see these characters again later, just, like, a lot is revealed. And, like, if you have not seen this scene, a lot is revealed at once. And, like, I, I think it kind of works in a way because, like, in that scene, you know, where you're playing is, you know, our perspective on things would maybe be limited just because, like, this... Does what like you know the things that we we uh, see in the scene later like don't necessarily involve us hundred percent and like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and so I think it like there was I guess it, it didn't necessarily feel like I was missing something at the time even though like I very clearly was because um, like I, I think there there was almost like a disorientation to everything that happens in that scene that worked for me on its own but it does like like I said earlier like really is is one of the biggest examples of like the second playthrough is the one where you see everything in its entirety because you know to look for these things. Yeah. And, and I think it feels like a scene that is meant for people who are playing it a second time, right? Because I don't know a hundred percent where a lot of this is going, but I have some theories now that I have a feeling are not incorrect. Uh, and will later get reinforced and we'll talk about those theories when they got reinforced, which is the end of, this section that we're playing here. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like I have an indication of where this is going and it's, it's interesting, but uh, it also just feels very str- Also like the Malboro just coming out of nowhere is very mm. goofy. Like it was just hanging out waiting for a dramatic moment to come yep. in. And that was clearly them being like, Oh, we need to insert a reason why they don't chase after them in this right. scene and all that. Uh, I almost would have liked a second Bahamut fight or something that would have been cool. But mm-hmm. instead it's just a freaking Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's neat. It's interesting. Uh, we'll put a pin in that. We also get another crimson sphere. So I suppose we are going to do the crimson sphere den of woe stuff at some point, mm-hmm. uh, which is that I've not asked you yet because we've talked before about how some of the stuff in this game is very, very high end, like end game level content stuff. You kind of have to grind out. I'm assuming that Den of Woe does not fall under that specifically and is maybe more of a uh, optional thing, but not something we're going to have to grind for. But now well, I'm putting you on the spot and asking. The mm, That's complicated because like, some of the crimson spheres are in places that I would maybe argue are challenging to get to. Mm. Mm. I guess we'll assess when we get there. We'll assess when we get there. This is not a game that we want to hundred percent, as we've said before. Um, and if we hit points where we decide like, Hey, this, this stuff is a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll decide when we get there, but yeah. Uh, either way, we will find a way to access the story content so we can talk about it. Uh, it's just that <laughs> there's, there's a lot of this game. I had a moment when I was playing this where for some reason I the the thought in my head that that kept passing through was Spira feels small now. Um hmm. it feels small in a way that 
it didn't in Final Fantasy X, and I was kind of trying to figure out why I kept thinking that. And I think it comes down to the fact that most of Spira is accessed through your airship, and you're kind of jetting about to different places rather than going on this long pilgrimage in each area feeling like you're you're doing this big transition from point A to point B, and you've got a sense of how the world connects, and you've got a sense of how... And obviously, you know, you could still do that if you feasibly mm. wanted to. You could start at Luca and walk all the way to, oh, shoot, I guess Bavel, right? Xanarkand? You could probably walk all the way to Xanarkand from Luca in this game if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all that geometry is still there. But really, the game says, hey, we got airships now, which I think right. is an interesting commentary in and of itself. There's so many parts right. of this game that they decide to add machina in that can let you quickly get through say the Mian high road or mm. across the calm lands and uh even more times where they just drop you directly like the next section that we're going to which is in the calm lands uh when you accept the mission they just take you directly to the cavern of the soul and faith they do not drop you in mm. the main calm lands or um or outside even outside mount gagazet which is where the stolen faith is uh I think that's interesting in, in that it makes Spira feel smaller, but not mm. in a way that like there are more modes of transportation for people. The way, the way that a car makes the world feel smaller. You right. Know? This, I mean, this was something that I was, I had in my back pocket to talk about was when we got to our cyberpunk 2077 season and that like I used fast travel primarily in that game anytime I could. And that mm-hmm. did that gave me like a different relationship to Night City, and that like, mm-hmm. and that it also is something that like I've, I've kind of like realized about myself just in life is that like I don't have an attachment to the place I live in because a lot of the times I am going to places through like through transportation, and I'm like mm-hmm. basically like th- the space that I exist in is a collection of services that I drive to and from. It's kind of like how I feel about the place that I live in right now, and I think. That is something that I was coming to confront when I was playing Cyberpunk the second time. Or not the second time, but like when I was playing it like a little bit on when, after this latest update for PS5 came out. Um, and I think that that holds true with Tenchu as well, because like it feels... It does not feel like one continuous world, because you are getting into a vehicle that takes you from one place to another. So you don't have like the same connections that you might have to you know, passing through the calm lands and, like, seeing the cracks in the earth and, like, thinking about that, because, like, you are simply going from safe fear to safe fear. Mm-hmm. It it makes you think a lot about, and granted, this might be getting too high-minded and, and over-the-top for what Tentu is actually trying to do, but I think it stumbles onto something interesting, which is, you know, how the same way that the car changed the way we build cities. Mm-hmm. Um tend to introducing the airship as a constant from the beginning, from the outset, rather than something you get at the end of the game. And also uh, adding all these machina that can create these modes of transportation ends up sparking the same feeling. You know, have you ever stopped and thought about how much space we spend on parking for cars that drive Mm -hmm. people to and from places? And that's strange when you think about it, because that is space that's not being occupied that could be, used for other reasons that could be used for stores or homes or things like that, but have to be used for cars because cars are how we move around. We have these small homes that we're constantly moving around in. 
And it also changes the way we interpret the places we go because now we're moving past them faster than we ever used to. Mm. Things can be a further distance out, but feel closer because of how fast we're going to them. And that's kind of what 10-2 makes me feel like is it takes this world that used to be one that you had to walk in, that you had to go great distances in, and that you know going from Besaid to Xanarkin was a pilgrimage and a great undertaking that you needed a specialized team of guardians to help protect you on the way there and, and communities mostly lived at stops along that route and now we're seeing them spread out now we're seeing them live in more places and we're seeing like just the idea of tourism which again we're about to talk about and that's why i'm bringing it up the concept of tourism exists in spira now mm. that that travel is so readily available and and cheaply available uh from what we can understand that people are going on trips and going on vacations to right. other parts of Spira, which means they're seeing the world, but it also means they're moving so much more. Right. And that's something I wouldn't even say that's like high minded for Tentu, because I think that's something like it explicitly talks about, like with the Mian High Road. Because like you get there and you're like, oh, people like on a Chocobo or on foot in the Mian High Road, you don't see that much often these days, but they've got, mm-hmm. you know, these al- these Albed like setups uh, with a machina at both ends that take people to and from both ends. Mm hmm. This this road that was previously paved by armies marching out from Luca to go towards you know the calm lands to to try and fight sin. Uh, I mean all these all these roads. I always think it's really cool how all the roads in Spira feel you know paved out by foot essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know once you get outside of say Luca uh, and really Luca's one of the only places with this. Um, they all feel like just things that have been cleared by generations before you, not necessarily things that have been industrialized and, and made to facilitate um, mass transportation of people. Uh, and, and we're not quite there yet, but the Mian High Road is becoming that, where it's turning into the mm. Mian Highway. And I think that's interesting. I think that's something that Tend to really starts to tap into and is cool interesting material i i was thinking about it again because i uh was was reflecting on kind of the reception that you mostly see around 10 to uh which feels overly reductive mm-hmm. and kind of just looks at it in the way that i imagine a lot of dudes of the dragon ball era looked at sailor moon and were like mm-hmm. oh it's just girls doing girl stuff and uh it's it's got so much going on and also i mean also the the emotions stuff that would make people turn their nose up is actually very good too (laughs) again one of my favorite scenes in this game is is yuna getting mad sad at a concert (laughs) getting jealous who the hell is len um it's oh god that's such a good scene uh this, this game continues to surprise. That's what I mean by I say, like, I feel like I'm seeing the breadth of 10-2 mm. in this chapter. Uh, but that's 40 minutes and we're only up to Calmland, so let's get through some Aeons mm. again. Um, we head to the Calmlands because, as we talked about at the beginning of this chapter, uh, fiends are pouring out of the faith. And while our hotspots only take us to Besaid, Kilka, and Jose, obviously there's also a faith in the cavern of the stolen faith, which is a tourist attraction now, much like Xanarkin was. Yeah. Uh, so we head on down there and people are trapped inside. Uh, fiends are pouring out. It's all kinds of bad. 
and we do a mini game uh, where we run around and have to find different people that are still inside the cavern of the stolen faith and take them back, escort them back to the entrance. Uh, but they all have specific needs and wants. And really, for the most part, the beginning part of this is is fairly straightforward, where most of their needs and wants come down to, hey, you know, keep the group size to about four people. Yeah. And, and you're good. And so I, I did some fairies like that. And then some of the last ones that you get only once you've started to unlock the teleporter... Uh, are the ones where they're like, oh, they want your undivided attention or they're a loner. Uh, they don't want to be around anybody else, which is just their way of making you do extra runs to right. the back. Like these uh, people are really fucking picky for people that are in a life or death scenario right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like, and- cause like, you know, start the section angry because like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get the same reason she was angry about Fenric and she's like, you know, this place that was sacred to us at one point is now this tourist attraction that people are just kind of, like, desecrating. And so, like, I almost kind of wish that, like, I mean, I, I get, like, the, the gameplay padding they're going for here, but, like, I would have loved a scene of Yuna being like, hey, you come with me now or I'm leaving you. Like, I, I would have loved for her to have been really assertive in that way, but, you know, they're, they're trying to, again, like, pad this out in any way they can. But also, Yuna is not that kind of person, and I think they've also gone the lengths to... Mm emphasize that even though yuna has issues she still wants to help people at the end of the day and and i i think that would just get in the way of her she would still want to Mm -hmm. help those people even if they're being stubborn and annoying so it's it's pain who would be like look i'm i'm leaving if you want to come with me you come with me right um we get all the people out it's at this point that we've undergone a dungeon with a couple dungeon runs, and I'm saying to myself, okay, well, boss fight's up next. I decide to try and touch the save sphere that's outside the cavern of the stolen faith, and it's like, do you want to leave the mission? Do you? And I'm like, I don't want to abandon the mission. I don't want to have to do that all over again. Oh my god, I don't get a save point before this? And then I lose to the next boss fight that comes up, and I have to redo the whole dungeon, and that's when I complain to you, and you inform me that if I leave the mission, I can just walk right back in and maintain mm-hmm. my progress. And Ken, I was mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was pretty darn mad. Uh, I I don't need to go into greater detail than that. I think that's just another case, like we talked about earlier, of this game. Maybe not. It, in this case, it was not clear. Mm-hmm. It was not forthcoming about the way it was going to handle its progression and mission system, uh, and also me being used to years of. Oh, if you abandon the mission, you abandon the mission and you have to start it over or you get like a bad end for it. Uh, you have to finish the mission once you started it and the game will tell you if you're allowed to do that or not. So, uh, yeah, just a, a minor point of frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one that did cause me to do the get people out of the dungeon thing twice. And I'm forever mad at this game about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we, we save and we head back inside and we head back to the actual chamber of the faith and find dark Yojimbo there. And for us, this is our first encounter with the dark aeons and there will be three more after this, but I would say that Yojimbo was probably the most difficult of the ones that we face in this chapter by a long, long stretch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other I mean, three were honestly pushover. <laughs> yeah, because like, I mean, especially the the three that we'll get to are among the kind of like 
Yeah, they're very stand like in terms of how they function in the battle systems of these games. Like they are mm-hmm. fairly straightforward. Whereas you like Yojimbo because that is a character that functions in a very specific way. In ten, they had to find ways, like interesting ways, to kind of like remix his moveset and his kit to work in Tenchu's other systems, um, which I found interesting. Like I, I think it was an interesting fight, and you know, and we can talk about the various things that, like, well, I mean, like his kind of like strategy is to use his overdrive, which will bring everyone down to 1 HP, mm-hmm. but then... 1 HP, tar- 1 MP. What's that? It does it, does it, I think it does 1 HP and 1 MP for everybody, right? Or I know he has... His, well, I mean, he has other abilities that I know. He has another move that, specifically, that saps MP. Yeah, yeah, specifically target MP. And that was... I, this was you know, one of the fights where like it really just kind of solidified like what is my strategy in terms of defense and also healing. Because like I, you know, I first led you know my white mage to, you know, put some protective spells on, but then you know immediately he targets Riku's MP, and I'm like, okay, I can spend time trying to use ethers and trying to restore that, or I can just pivot into alchemist, and mm-hmm. that became my go-to healer then, and I think it kind of soli- again like solidified that was the uh, the better healer of the two, just because like it doesn't have the same roadblocks and same. You know, things that can be directly targeted. Because, like, I don't know... I mean, sort of like a, an enemy that steals from you. Like, the alchemist mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, safe in terms of how it... Uh, how can you heal your party? Because it can't be affected or anything like that. I think one of the biggest changes in this game for the better, from specifically from Ten system, is the way that overdrives have kind of become standard abilities in this game because obviously mix is a core part of the alchemist kit right so this thing that you would only get to use every once in a while is riku and honestly you would just save and use one of the big mix options you know the one that makes mighty guard or the one that can do Mm. the the trio of nine 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 yeah um you would really just use it for those. Whereas here, now that mix is a standard option, I feel like I'm engaging more with the breadth of what mix can be. So I'm actually using up some of those grenade parts that I'm getting to make um, makeshift attacks during battles. Uh, With Mm -hmm. Yojimbo specifically, mixing a potion and a high potion makes a mega potion. And I would basically just sit there with my cursor hovering on mega potion as he went into the animation for Zamato. Yeah. And then just queue it up. And so that way Riku was there and ready to to toss that out once we all got dropped low. Uh, mm-hmm. I also used an accessory that had everybody get regen uh, when mm-hmm. they dropped mm-hmm. into critical health. So that, that helped a little bit. Sometimes the dog would still take somebody out. You can't right. account for everything. But uh, for the most part, it really forced me to... I mean, he has 22,000 health, I think is what the guide said. Mm-hmm. And the next highest health that we deal with in this chapter is like 8,000. Right. Uh, so this was a just battle of attrition. I mean, yeah. this was me patiently waiting uh, Yojimbo out, knowing that his his goal is to kill you, obviously, but he doesn't do it in the traditional way of just hitting you with big attacks the way that some of the other Aeons mm-hmm. or even Bahamut does. Yeah. Uh, his way of killing you is first, you know, sapping your MP and getting you out of conventional healing tools it's poking away at you with these very fast attacks from his dog and himself uh and then he has another ability that can also poison and Mm -hmm. that poison initially you're like okay whatever poison i can deal with it 
when you get dropped to one HP yep. from Zanmato, that poison is lethal now. And it's a very interesting adaptation of that kit into a puzzle fight that felt very rewarding to beat mm-hmm. because I was having to pay attention to my accessories. I was having to pay attention to my team set up. Like you were talking about, I was having to get protect up and then immediately swap over to alchemist. I was having to, if I wanted to make the fight go faster, I needed to time my combos out and also like make good decisions about when Riku was, uh, acting versus just sitting on the weight bar because I had to read his animations and, and mm. I got used to reading which one was going to be Zanmato so I could, you know, get Riku queued up immediately. And even having my pages sorted well so that way when he was using Zanmato, I wasn't taking too much time to input the mix for, for Mega Potion. I wasn't having to sift through so many sections. It felt like this was the battle system really coming together for an interesting and mm-hmm. complex battle in a way that reminded me of some of the other good ones we've had, like yeah. Barrel Eye and, and mm-hmm. some of the other fights. Um, it, it, it's, it's on par with some of the best stuff in the original 10, I think, in terms yeah. of, like, yeah. th- this character operates with, like, a very, like, a precision of something that is, you know, it's a puzzle, like you said, but it's also just, like, there is a strategy unfolding mm-hmm. in every, like, every move feels very intentional. Yeah, yeah. It feels very designed, uh, to be like this is the puzzle we are presenting you with this is the like strategy that this character is going to use that is different from many other enemies that you faced thus far and you you have to figure out how to beat it uh go yep. <laughs> and, uh, i liked it a lot for that mm-hmm. um so shout outs to yojimbo really really showing up in multiple final fantasy games really uh fulfilling fulfilling the the good role of being a good mm-hmm. summon uh, we don't get too much story stuff as far as the dark Aeon stuff goes here. We get more of it when we head off to the other areas. So we'll probably just jump ahead to Besaid, mm. where we touch down and Lulu tells us to uh, head over to the actual temple to talk to Waka. And Waka is arguing with, uh, what's his name? The the youth league guy. Uh, Beckle. Who's, what? Is it Beckle? Uh, height. Why did I forget his name? I I keep wanting to call him like Grempl- Gremlin or something. Grompkin. Belkum. Belkum. Beck Becklum. Becklum. Be- I mm. I don't know. We we go to talk to Beck, famous singer songwriter Beck. <laughs> he's <laughs> a loser. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's trying to burn down the temple, <laughs> uh, which is actually what I would imagine Ken would do in this situation. <laughs> Beckham. Like, oh, uh, Beckham. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's efficient. Fa- famous singer songwriter Beckham is trying to burn down the, the chamber of the faith. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, First of all, uh, there's there's fiends coming out of it, and Waka and the others are holding them off, but it's obviously taking a toll on on the folks living there. The Besaid Oryx are are not up to snuff in terms of combat, and uh, also, you know, screw Yevon, right? <laughs> like, burned, as Becklum points out to us, um, Yuna of you know more than anybody should know how how much of a false. Mm-hmm. Uh, false liturgy, a false god that Yevon was, and why do we keep the temple around? Which I think is an interesting 
uh, wrinkle that gets put in here mm-hmm. with the faith and with the the storyline that they're constructing of why you know why do we maintain these and how much of the old world the the former world do we want to maintain as we build the new one mm-hmm. uh, an interesting story beat to to start hitting on again in this way yeah. and Yuna I think is kind of conflicted mm-hmm. and doesn't know the answer to that right. right now and I think that's interesting too is that even Yuna the person who broke the system uh, and firsthand experienced so many of the ways that it wronged its people uh, still is unsure about tearing down these structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's interesting. I think that's cool that they get right. into this. Yeah. Cause I think that's like, you know, to an extent there is a comfort in something that was there, even if it had taken on new meaning. And I think like mm-hmm. that is kind of what Waka's dealing with, especially, you know, we'll get into conversation later about Waka's life and how he's not really handling certain parts of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what it is for Waka is that like, this did mean something to him at one point, and it's hard to let it go entirely, at least all at once in like a something as instant as a fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if that means like he's putting his life, you know, in danger and recklessly so in pursuit of trying to save it. And I think that's kind of the point that he and Yuna have to both get at the end of this is realizing like we might have our feelings about this, but I do. There is like a certain point where we don't have to fall on the sword for a memory. Mm-hmm. I I think it serves again as an interesting uh parallel to industrialization as well mm. because you think about the old world and you know in our world and churches operate as a community center of sorts a community hub and even nowadays you think about when disasters happen when gatherings need to happen it's like churches, schools, and stadiums are where people go because they're large spaces that can accommodate people and also tend to have resources and act as kind of focal points within a community uh, that are just kind of ingrained in us, either because Mm -hmm. we've been going there our entire lives or we just know where it is. And um, it's easier than saying go to the Walmart. I, I do think it's interesting that they have to suddenly like deal with the fact that this this was an actively harmful institution and we're still maintaining its appearance and and there are still people worshiping you know in in these places even though we've learned the truth about Yevon and all that and there's still a new Yevon that's trying to establish what it means to be Yevon in a post Yevon mm. <laughs> world. Uh, and I think all of that's really interesting and we get to start to like grapple with it here and, and also grapple with how Yuna feels in the middle of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think just, ah, oh, the final fantasy 10 too, as a commentary on industrialization, who would have thought, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we head further in, uh, the one thing I do like about this whole section that we're in is that we never have to redo the cloister of trials mm-hmm. in any of these. And we kind of see the ways we do see times in which the cloister of trials reactivates to annoying effect. But I, I do like that at least here in Besaid, we don't really have to mess around with the cloister of trials and even the destruction sphere has already been used. So mm-hmm. that wall is already gone. So canonically Yuna and company did use the destruction spheres, uh, and get all the treasure. Uh, but we we head in and we find Waka and Waka's just, you know, exhausted trying to hold all these fiends back and is, you know, basically almost passed out against a wall. Uh, so we're like, hey, 
keep it keep it calm we're gonna head up ahead and see what's going on up there uh and we go up the lift to the uh chamber of the faith and find dark veil four waiting for us and obviously everyone's very confused you know wondering why an aeon is back this is kind of a recurring theme of why is an aeon here uh and also you know it's emotional for yuna i mm-hmm. think there's there's a moment i think it was during it was either during veil four if right but i think it was during veil four where yuna they they ask yuna if she's ready for this and she's mm-hmm. like yeah i'm good like yeah. i think between this and and the bahamut scene there's a bit of a recognition that yuna has a connection with mm-hmm. these and a connection with the aeons and so fighting them is difficult and fighting mm-hmm. them you know hurts a little bit uh and especially seeing them back you right. know it, i actually and, already done this see- before yeah yeah seeing them back and and seeing them alive again and angry and hurting people is a lot you know it's like mm. your your dog came back and started <laughs> murdering people <laughs> you know <laughs> uh that's kind of what you miss dealing with um and, and the veil four fight honestly like throw up protect throw up shell no. hit hit veil four with all four warrior breaks and then just start going to town you don't really have to worry about anything uh very straightforward fight uh but it was interesting to see the overdrives being used. A recurring theme we will have with the Aeons is that they do have attack patterns as the Aeons did in the previous game. And those kind of get adapted over in a way uh, to be this sort of uh, almost feels like a reference to the way that the Aeon fights functioned in 10, the way they had sort of attack patterns that mm-hmm. you'd have to memorize and figure out to beat them. Uh but it is neat seeing them just have all these abilities and also seeing, you know, Riku and pain subjected to these abilities, mm-hmm. seeing them like getting tossed about up in the air and stuff like that was very funny. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, do we want just anything to say about veil for before we go on nah. to, to closure? Okay. Waka, we held Waka back out and Beckham's out there and Beckham did not set fire to the building. Uh, but Beckham gives Waka, a much earned chewing out because you know Waka's like I had to go in there and the fiends they could have got out they could have hurt the town and Beckham's like yeah that's my job you dingus you're mm-hmm. gonna be a father right. <laughs> like you need to understand that you have a family now you are a family man mm-hmm. and you need to make decisions with your family in mind uh, which I think was a a much a much needed mm-hmm. talking to uh and also, Waka's been, you know, he's been acting up. He's been yeah. acting up in this game. He's he's got kind of a midlife crisis going right. on, at you know what at- the Final Fantasy midlife is of like twenty two. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's 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 nice to see him get the talking to, uh, and it even made me like Beckham a little bit mm-hmm. like, Hey, yeah, this dude that wanted to burn down the temple has, has a point, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you make a uh, compelling argument here. Yeah. He's making a compelling argument, both for burning <laughs> temples, <laughs> burning down Yevon temples. And also, uh, in Waka needing to be a good father. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting little stopover in Besaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
You want to talk about Kiliko? Because Kiliko was very fun in a way. Kind of silly in some spots, but... Yeah. Uh, so Kilika, we head over there, also having similar problems. Uh, you know, people are trying to... This is the part I wasn't 100% sure on, because obviously fiends are pouring out of the temple, mm-hmm. and Bevel, or New Yevon, has the temple on lockdown, and they're only letting certain people through. Um, and so we have to do this whole sequence where Donna is going to help us out, because Bartello is up at the temple, mm-hmm. um, and Donna is trying to pretend like she's not worried about Bartello, but she secretly is very mm-hmm. worried about Bartello. Um no worries. So, there were many worries. Yeah. Donna's like, I got it. I'll use my wiles to seduce <laughs> the guards and uh and you can sneak on by. And we get this mini game that is I failed it once, and I felt good about only failing it once because I feel it was a very failable mini game mm-hmm. of we have to try and sneak through the gate when the gate is open one of the guards is still over at the controls and the other guard that Donna is supposed to be distracting is not just openly ignoring her and looking the opposite direction. <laughs> uh, Donna, you got to work on your game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta up this a little bit. Uh, I, I got it on the second try and getting it gets you a really good accessory. So I wanted to be sure that I mm. got that, but uh, what a silly fun weird thing that i actually did enjoy as just kind of a fun mini game to toss in here and Mm -hmm. i also like that they let you practice it as much as you want before Mm -hmm. you you did the real thing uh that that was considerate i would say in in ways that other parts of this game have not been so considerate also the cactars being uh captured whether you fail or win uh was nice too Mm -hmm. uh there there are some considerations in this game that that i like but uh yeah i don't know part one of donna and bartello let's say Mm. so we get donna's side of this whole thing and we sneak on by and this is the part i'm confused about ken so there are like the forest is practically on fire there's just bad stuff happening everywhere and new yevon has erected barriers to keep people away from the temple Mm mm-hmm I was really trying to figure out what's going on with that because well, I think it's both. I think it's both barriers to keep them away, but also keep whatever's coming out in. I guess, but there's there's like people trying to. They're like yelling across these barriers, and they want to get through and all that. And I'm like, there's bad stuff happening at the temple, and there's like fire raining from the skies, and you want to run towards the chamber mm. of the faith. Uh, not towards the water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All I'm saying is the people of Kilika got a death wish. <laughs> mm. um, anyways, we we head across on on the the treetops, sneak across the trees into the temple itself, and run up the stairs and head into the temple. Uh, by the way, I I forgot to mention this. I think I mentioned it last episode, but. All the while, Shinra has been tagging along and dropping comm spheres mm-hmm. everywhere, which does lead to what I think is both an incredible and incredibly annoying section in Chapter 4 mm-hmm. that is probably infamous in terms of ruining people's 100% completion. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So looking forward to that. But that is like a weird thing that's been happening throughout this entire section. And there are specific parts of this game where if you don't, like, there are multiple areas within each section that you have to go to to get Shinra to drop the comm sphere in them. And so even if you go to an area, if you don't go to the right part of the area, you won't have every comm sphere. And that means you will miss 100% completion. Just weird. Just weird stuff. <laughs> what a video game. <laughs> uh, anyways, I brought that up because we drop... I think we drop a comm sphere at the temple. Um, In I the midst also, of all this. Yeah, I might also be thinking of Jose, but I want to think... I, I want to say we dump one in Killika Temple as well. Um, but we head inside, and we fight just... I, I mean, so inside is bad news. Like, people are kind of... Mm. It's not as bad as Jose gets, but, like, people are just kind of dying. Yeah. And Bartello is in here, and Bartello gets hurt, but we, we kill what will be one of many Davas and uh, and help Bartello out. Uh, and Bartello is basically like, look, I know Donna and I disagree about the future but I love her and I love her in spite of all that. And so I'm here because I can keep these fiends here and keep them from getting to Donna. And mm -hmm. that's how I can show my love to her. It's like, Oh, Ugh. you, you beautiful himbo. <laughs> you you like, beautiful dumb man. <laughs> you're a, you're a stupid buffoon for following new Yevon, but I mean, your heart right now in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. God, you know, Bartello's all right. Bartello's all right. Mm. He's he's kind of dumb, and he needs to stop caring about a church that did bad things for him and his people. But you know, at the same time, he's he's got a lot of heart, and he's got big old muscles that he's put into good use. So <laughs> we we support him. Mm. We just support him becoming better in the process. Mm -hmm. um, Yo, so these um, these Deva fights though. Uh, so many devas. I Just love when there are dozens of them. I love when there are enemies in this game that you can make beat themselves just by cast and reflect. And this is one of them. Oh yeah. Because it operates primarily with elemental magic, but also like it tries to cast slow and like, no, no you. That's yours. I didn't even notice that because uh I don't think I had it on in this section, but previously when I'd been fighting Devas in I wanna say it was in cavern of the stolen faith uh i had an accessory on pain that made her auto attacks apply slow and so it was kind of counteracting the haste that the deva kept casting on itself mm -hmm. so uh here i mean at this point the devas took like two rounds of auto attacks from everybody to to take out so i just kind of did the rounds and and took them out and that was that so even when they were throwing multiple devas at me i was like whatever um and we go into fight Ifrit, and we get another scene of, oh my god, well, it's another Aeon. Before we oh. get to Ifrit, we do pick up the Samurai Dress oh, Sphere. Oh, we pick up the Samurai Dress Sphere, which is on my list of things to try out, because A, I think the Samurai class is one that I've never really messed around with in any Final Fantasy, and I'd mm. kind of like to see what the what the skill set's like. Um, yeah, I've, I've never, it's never been on my rotation anytime I've played this game. Because I feel like there, you do get a lot of like physical attacker classes mm -hmm. in this game and i think like at a certain point you kind of just gotta look at like what, what is the baseline utility of all of them and like what fits what you're doing best and like like i said berserker just kind of like falls more in line with what i need and 
Samurai comes so late after all the other ones that it kind of feels like it really needs something that's going to, like, grab you, or it's just going to you know, be something that you never really touch. The The interesting part of this is that if we correctly did the minigame earlier and did not get caught, uh, we get a chest that has an item in it called Bushido Lore, uh, and that actually just lets you use samurai abilities if you mm. equip it as an accessory. And there are a couple items like that in 10-2 mm. that just like let you do things. I think I already have another one that lets you use swordplay abilities, which are the warrior yep. attacks. So I probably should just put that on pain yeah, I should. so mm. I don't have to keep swapping, but no. I don't mind swapping. So right. um I might look into that. I, I I might not swap pain, but you know, Yuna's been jumping around jobs mm. and I might have Yuna try out Samurai for a little bit and kind of report back and we'll see how that goes. So uh it is like we, you know, we're now in chapter four. Like you said, we are late in the game to be swapping up to dress spheres, but we're also at the point where I think a lot of the dress spheres that I have right now are getting maxed. Mm-hmm. Um I'm maxing out their abilities and I feel like I'm wasting experience if i'm sitting these characters on dress fears that they aren't learning anything on mm-hmm. so uh maybe swapping around might be beneficial just in terms of opening up those play styles a bit more uh you know right now riku's working on alchemist and alchemist is a pretty lengthy one to mm-hmm. get filled out but uh yuna might be down to to handle some of that stuff and even riku you know or and i mean pain pain's getting close to to finishing death knight mm. uh dark knight and so maybe uh, i was gonna work on berserker next but i'll look into some other stuff we'll see we'll see uh but yeah we pick up the samurai dress sphere on the way to ifrit and then we fight ifrit who is once again a pushover mm. uh, <laughs> possibly even more so than veil vale four or ixion because ifrit uses a lot of fire attacks so if you have mm. anything that nullifies or even weaken or you know halves the damage of fire attacks uh it's not really doing any damage right. to you. I didn't even really have to use my mega potions very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I maybe used it once after an overdrive attack, but I was never really in danger from this Aeon in particular. So mm-hmm. sorry, Ifrit, you gotta, you gotta change it up. You know, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta head to Alola and get a new type. You know, you gotta start <laughs> dual typing, <laughs> dual typing my Aeons. <laughs> um so that that solves Killika. Killika's is all taken care of uh we head back to the ship and we get a call from jose that's basically saying hey you know gipple's still kind of mia and the machina that we're trying to hold out against ixion are not exactly well not even ixion just the fiends but mm-hmm. obviously ixion will be at the end of this uh they're not holding out like we hoped they would, and they need the help of the Gold Wings after all, after they had rebuffed us before. So we show up, you know, heroes of the day to, to save it. And I feel like Jose is the one where they really emphasize that, oh, people are dying. Right. People are getting murdered in these yeah. temples. Uh, there are like multiple scenes where. You just see bodies on the ground and soldiers like desperately fighting. And I, I love all the scenes of these soldiers like just shooting down hallways at these fiends that are advancing and stuff like that. It really gives you the sense that, yes, we have more technology and these, you know, people are, are starting to be able to fight. But also it's a reminder of how dangerous these fiends have always been. And now they're 
coming out of these places that were at the center of all these cities and towns and stuff. So it's a it's a cool cool reminder that yes, there is still danger in this world even if sin right. is gone. Uh, so we head on in. I got lucky. <laughs> so um, there's there's a thing at the end here uh, of the temple before we head into the chamber of the faith where you have to like basically guess on altars and if you get the altar wrong you have to do a fight and uh you just have to figure out which one is the right one yeah i i I lucked out too i bet right baby yeah (laughs) i'm living well uh so that felt good i enjoyed that Mm. but we head on up and here it's worth noting so we get another oh my god it's an aeon scene but something important to note is that they they see that Ixion has been fused with Machina yep. somehow. And I think that's an... Put a pin in that. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Ixion is here using all the same Ixion moves, the arrow spark and the Thor's hammer that we know and love. Uh, but it's got some Machina in it. Mm. Very, very curious what's going on there. Uh, anyways, we beat Ixion up. Because... <laughs> mm. Again, Ixion's got a dual right. type. You know? Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing that I think separates the Ifrit and Ixion fight from like even the Bahamut and the Val for one. Like they don't those the those two don't have like an elemental affinity that you can just like, really hone in on and block and also like damage. Like you know, there's not a weakness to exploit there with uh, Valfor and Bahamut. So like they do require like they they are more like you know war of attrition than these are where you can just kind of like really hone in on a weakness and take them out. Yeah, yeah. Aeons suck. It turns out. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about it before. Like they're they're glass cannons. That yeah. They all and they always were. And you know, playing longer into these games just really solidifies that. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Yojimbo put up a fight. Mm-hmm. So shout outs to the optional Aeons being <laughs> the real goats. Uh, whereas these Yahoos are out here single typing. <laughs> um. So yeah, we beat Ixion and we head in and we start peering. So at the Chamber of the Faith, where the Faith had previously resided, there are now giant holes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are holes down into the earth and you can't really see the bottom. And YRP, the crew, is looking on down as the hole being like, well, what do we do about this? Like, what are we going to do here? In the background, Ixion is working its way over for one last attack. And as they realize it's going to strike... Riku and Pain dodge off to the side while Yuna, to dodge the attack, has to jump into said hole. And so Yuna goes plummeting down, dive into the heart. It's Kingdom Hearts, baby. It was Mm. Kingdom Hearts all along. (laughs) Honestly, not far removed from the actual truth. But uh, we kind of land in darkness, let's say. Um, Well, first it's brightness. And then, and then it becomes darkness. Um, but Yuna's kind of calling out, and a voice answers her. And it's the voice that sounds mysteriously like him. Could it be him? Where are you? What? I finally found you. Is that really you? It is me. Shu Yin. Dun, like, dun, dun. I, I feel like you skipped a fair bit. Okay, like... What? Well, okay. Like, because, like, it starts out in darkness and light, but, like... Yuna wakes up in the far plane. Like, 
you know, she's in the well, field yeah, of flowers. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was gonna get there. I was gonna okay, get there. Okay, okay, okay. Fine, fine. Jeez. Well, I then continue. Wanted get, I wanted to get to the Shuyan thing, so I didn't mm. have to keep saying this mysterious voice. <laughs> Anyways, it's Shuyan, so we're in the far plane somehow, and there are flowers and stuff everywhere. It's it's really weird. It's honestly kind of a weird vibe, a different vibe than we've seen from the far plane in the past. Uh, it's a very like festive garden almost, and uh, Shu Yin arrives. So who who is Shu Yin? And Shu Yin's like, I found you, Len. Uh, and another Yuna, another another important piece of context. You know, woke up in the Feng Shui Festival. Yes, I, I was I was literally about to say that. You know, okay. wearing this. <laughs> the You're listeners like, at home have maybe missed this a little bit. <laughs> Um, are, are bickering. Um, yeah, no, Yuna's, this is maybe a weird part of this whole section is that we have Yuna at the top of the hole in the gunner dress sphere, and then Yuna falls down the hole. And I want to say even when Yuna wakes up, Yuna is wearing the gunner dress sphere. But at some point between waking up in hole and FMV starting with Shu Yin uh she swaps to the songstress dress sphere and we've already seen before in in chapter one that there's something up with the songstress Mm -hmm. dress sphere it's got you know dress spheres can kind of have some tacit memories from their previous person and we had we had looked into this uh dress sphere prior um and and been like uh there's something there's something up with it you know was having funky dreams when when she was wearing it while she slept so with that in mind uh we are now in the songstress dress sphere and this shu yin guy is like oh it's you it's len i found you uh and he definitely looks like titus but is definitely not titus mm. and uh kind of gets real close to Yuna and they start embracing each other. And Yuna's like, no, what's going on? I d- don't, don't touch, touch me. me. No. But also I'm feeling something. What am I feeling? Are these my feelings or are they someone else's? Like the, there's some confusion going on. There's definitely a moment where you think they're, they're going to, you know, start locking lips and stuff. And, and there's some emotion. She starts crying. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't really know why. And Shuyin kind of says, we disappeared together, but when I woke, I was alone. I looked for you for so long. While I wandered, I realized something. Spira hasn't really changed at all. Everyone's still fighting over nothing, still dying like they used to. A thousand years have passed, and they can't leave hatred behind. I'm through waiting. I'll fix it. This world continues to fail us, and what's worse, I failed to protect you. Vegnagun will make that all go away and we'll fail will fade together again. Help me do it, Len. And we're a lot's happening there. So we knew already that the sphere that sent us on this journey to begin with was a thousand years old, right? We mm. had an idea that it was it was from a long time ago, which would line up with potentially when whoever Titus was or is could have possibly existed in Xanarkand. But really, Titus is a being created by sin and by, well, more, more by the faith 
of of Xanarkand. Mm. Uh, I I feel like it's never really properly said whether the people that were in the Dream of the Faith were ever really real people. Right. So that was or... that's sort of my what I was going to talk talk to you about here. Like, what is your reading on Shuyin as like a a person at this point? Because like the implication here, and like we we talked with Macon about it uh, the last episode. Like, you know. Clearly, like, this can't actually be cheated in the sphere, but that is certainly somebody that looks and sounds just like him. Yeah. And I think, like, the implication, and it, it, I don't really remember if it's, like, explicitly stated anywhere in the text, but I think the implication here is that Shuyin is the person that the faith were remembering. Mm. But Titus is who that, like, person was in their dream, like, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's the same way that, like, if you see someone you know in your dream, they're not going to act and behave like the person you know in real life. Right. You know, they might be different. They might act different. They might say different things. You might even sometimes name them different things in your dream or recognize them differently in your dream than you do mm-hmm. in real life. I think that fits kind of a dream personification of of Shuyin as Titus, you know. Right. And that's... Uh, that's like just an interesting setup to me because, like, I mean, I I said it back in the ten season. Like, uh-huh. I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not thrilled with a lot of like the idea of like the dreams Anarchan because I think it just kind of exists to twist the knife and like make Titus die at the end. Where I, but I do think like it kind of like tacitly raises the question of like who are the faith dreaming of then? Like mm-hmm. who, like who were the people of Anarchan before? And mm-hmm. You know, then, then I think that's, that works in terms of, like, I think it gives Tintu a really strong, grounded foundation. By the time, you know, you, you see the extent of it, like, yes, of course, as people are looking for spheres and, like, the history of Spira and, like, you know, to learn these things, at some point it would kind of seem like a natural thing for Yuna to maybe find an inkling of the person that Titus was essentially based on. And mm-hmm. not to necessarily have considered that possibility until it, you know, was staring her in the face here. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, dealing with the fact that she herself has has feelings now that she doesn't fully understand. Uh, And I feel like there's a dual implication here. Obviously, there's there's something that we'll get to in a second that I think is worth breaking down and discussing. But also the idea that maybe she's realizing that she's in love with the concept of a person and not Mm. necessarily a person. Um, Right. I almost like the idea of sort of a, you know, how obviously we've been proven that other people remember Titus, but it would be interesting if people didn't remember Titus that well. And mm-hmm. only, you know, really had the memory here. And right. and so now, you know, was starting to question whether Titus was real or just a concept that was created by the faith. Uh, that's all cool idea, but yeah, we, we end our embrace because Nuge shows up. It's like, open your eyes. <laughs> and <laughs> Shuyin turns into barrel eye. Oh, I did want to, before we actually move away from Shuyin, I did want to mm-hmm. give props to James Arnold Taylor, who voices Titus and also Shuyin, and that there's like a very understated, like an understated but very significant difference in his delivery mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of like how he plays both characters that I appreciate. Uh, was same voice actor for 10, mm-hmm. if I'm correct? Yeah. I, I, again, you, you want to talk about how 10 and 10 to get misrepresented right. all the time. You, you go back to the Titus laugh. And people will then somehow extrapolate that out to be like, oh, yeah, Ten's great voice acting. Tito's mm. laugh. Uh-huh. There is so much work being put into this in what is one of Square Enix's earliest examples of actually using voice acting right. in the Final Fantasy series. And the amount of care that went into it from the voice actors to do that right. Mm-hmm. Like props to that, because I did 
I had that moment where I was like, I think that sounds like Titus, but it's not right. actually Titus. Like th- yeah. they sound notably different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in a way, in a way that, that like feels... kind of feels skeevy. Like I mean, like it feels like yeah, there's like yeah. this this man's off. Like yeah, yeah. it was. It's good. Work. It's good. I mean, we we haven't talked enough about it. I think, but voice acting in this game, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Even I would say by modern standards, yep. very good. Um, maybe that's just because I'm coming off a of triangle strategy, <laughs> <laughs> remembering what not as good. I mean, I think that's a more complicated thing than just the, I think the voice actors tried their best and some of that stuff, but that's a long conversation for a different podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll do a triangle strategy season of, <laughs> of Normandy FM. I would actually enjoy that. That'd be fun. I want to get you into tactics games at some point. I want to s- fire Emblem three houses is one that we have talked about before. And I could see us doing for a Normandy FM season. Mm even though that game is, is hateful and that it won't let me date Claude as, mm. as male Byleth. And what the fuck are you doing video games? Anyways, <laughs> patch it in three hopes, damn it. Um, anyways, we end the FMV cutscene and Nuge tells us to open our eyes and Shu Yin becomes Baralai. And Baralai is like, oh, the end is not far now and opens a portal. And meanwhile, in the distance, we see something big moving we see something ominous moving in the distance. And honestly, that was kind of freaky for me. Cause I was like, obviously, you know, I think the implication is supposed to be that that could be Vegna gun that's mm. moving out there. Uh, and we haven't really gotten a great look at Vegna gun yet in terms of like full scope right. and size. It, it reminds me of, you know, we see sin in the abstract a bunch of times, but once we actually see sin and I remember the part in Xanarkand of 10, right. Where they walk back out of Xanarkand and sin is just standing there. Mm -hmm. And I always remember that one because it just, it got me like you were, you were watching me play when that happened. And I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. (laughs) Sin's right there. (laughs) But also, uh, it, it just reminds you of how huge this thing is. Like it is massive. It is imposing. And that was the moment where you are in control. So you have a very like solid, um, like, like point of reference for size in the world at that point. And you mm-hmm. see sin and your mind makes the direct connection of scale to your player character. And you're like, Oh my God, how do we even begin to think about killing that thing? Uh, I want that moment for Vegnagun, and I feel like that moment starts here where you just kind of see a mass moving in the distance. And mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to tell where it starts and ends, but you know that it's huge. Right. Um and and I like that a lot. I like that feeling a lot. Evoked a lot of memories of sin for mm-hmm. me. Um so anyways, Barilai goes through a portal and Nuge and Gipple give chase, you know, check on Yuna, make sure she's okay, and then give chase. Uh, and then hand, before they do, they hand Yuna uh, crimson spheres, each one of them. They say, give this to Pain. It was all I was able to find. Uh, and Yuna's like, huh, what's going on? And Nuge is like, it's our wills. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very good. Yeah. And Gipple's like, he's kidding. It just makes sure Payne gets him. And Yuna's like, how do you even know her? And Gipple says, the four of us go way back. Um, 
and and Kipple says they've got it all under control. Take care of things topside is what mm. Nuge leaves us with. Uh, and they take off, and Yuna is left alone again. Now here, before we talk about this last part with Yuna, I I have been clear that I've not finished ten two. I want I want to say I have some flex floating around about what's going on, but just given what has happened, I feel like we can make some safe assumptions here. I think Shu Yin is possessing people. I think Shu Yin's a god dang ghost. <laughs> and okay. and is possessing people, which is what we saw in Bevel when those fireflies transferred from Nuge to to Barilai. And we also have the sort of glamour moment that happens here where for a short time Barilai looks like Shuyin and then Shuyin, you know, reverts back to Barilai. Uh but we also see during the scene Yuna having an effect with the dress sphere, uh, mm. specifically the songstress dress sphere. And so I have a feeling that there's some residual memories of Len in that dress sphere, something that we do actually get confirmed at the end of this chapter that Shinra, I- I'm just jumping ahead to this part, okay. <laughs> which we will probably talk about uh, at, you know, in chapter four uh, as well. And we'll talk more about it there, but Shinra mentions like, hey, yeah, no, I, I figured out that somebody named Len used to own that dress sphere. And they're all like, why didn't you tell us? And he's like, I don't know. You didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid Shinra <laughs> kicking him off the airship. Um, so, yeah, I feel like those are at least mm. logical assumptions we are to make as for what the greater plot that is happening here and what happened between those two. Who's to say? But mm. we're dealing with goddamn ghosts, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> mm. it, is, it is interesting now that like we've reached the point where you're kind of like okay this is not what i like i've not seen past this or like really seen the bulk of this because now i get to like experience your reactions firsthand and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's always fun that's always a fun thing to do in this show where i try to like dance around the specifics of things and try yeah. not to spoil things for you and just kind of like but also like i do my best to kind of like nudge you in the right direction if you're your your theories or your feelings on things starting to go wild and be like, hey, we we haven't this- had that in a little while. We haven't had that since Last of Us, mm-hmm. and that was fun with the Last of Us, you know. Uh, and we won't have that again with Cyberpunk because, well, I have not beaten Cyberpunk. I have I know like what all the endings are and all that, and I've played up to the ending point where you decide your branch and all that. Um, so I I'm familiar with a lot of that stuff. Maybe not all the side quest content, but mm-hmm. definitely like the main plot. Uh, and I think with Ten Two, it's fun to have that again. We haven't had that in a mm. while, uh, and and we've had some fun times with that in the past. So, <laughs> um, mm. Jade Empire was another good one of those. Mm. <laughs> that that darn master <laughs> tearing <laughs> on us. Honestly, still an all time great betrayal in my opinion. That was mm. a great great moment. But, uh, anyways, returning back to where we were. Yuna's all alone again, stuck in the darkness, down, has dove into the heart, <laughs> is down at the bottom with all the heartless mm. and her shadow self. But, uh, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. She has just more and more questions, but more than anything, she's just angry. One thing after another. And I'm already confused to begin with. She starts yelling in the darkness. Uh, she says, I'm all alone. And then you can press X 
to whistle. Uh, it's the whistle. And Yuna yells out, where are you? Whistle again. Wait, two more whistles. And here we have a figure that kind of leads Yuna out of the far plane and up to the Vegnagun platform in Bevel. And, and Yuna says, hey, Yuna reporting in. I'm coming back. Um, mm. Now, it, you can not whistle right. in the section, and Yuna will just somehow wind up back on the Vegnagun platform anyways, looking sad and depressed. But mm. we are obviously chasing not the 100% ending, but that good ending. Mm. And that is one of the necessary you-have-to-do parts to right. get that. Uh, Which is interesting again because like again like again like that that feels very much like a second playthrough thing that you're not gonna one you're not gonna have any look at the game doesn't signpost that to you at all like you need to press x or anything Mm -hmm. um and i think like i I think i have had playthroughs of this game where i didn't press x here but there's another point where i did they got me there, there are basically like four endings here and it got me like the second tier one which is not we're going for we're going for the the third tier one here um, and I don't know, like, it, it, I'm of a few certain minds because, like, I don't know how anyone would know to do that without a guide because I don't think the game does any, anything in its power to let you know that that's a thing. Um, I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. I think it is fully intended for a second playthrough, and I think it's intended to be found specifically by people doing a second playthrough because Ken... You can't skip dialogue scenes, but you can move through them faster mm. using the cross button. The same button that you have to hit to whistle. So I'm picturing, I'm envisioning, I don't know if this is intentional, but someone saying, what if we made it so that people will find this when they are trying to quickly thumb through dialogue to get to the next section of the game, and all of a sudden something happens that they're not sure about, but they know they were tapping a button, and so they keep tapping it. That's a mm. really cool feeling to try and elicit from the player. And so I feel like I can... Because, I mean, like, I feel if you did this modern day, it would, what, be like a dialogue option? It would pop up? Like, you know, there might be a press X to whistle that shows up on the screen. Mm. But it's really hard to do this sort of thing and elicit this sort of thing without just giving away what some of the surprise is. And... I, I understand that it's difficult, you know, to have that perfect moment, but I feel like putting the whistle on the cross button, at least to me, implies that they were thinking about what button the player might be using at that time and stumble across. Because if it was on like R2 or something, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's ever going to find that without a guide, mm-hmm. but it's on cross, which is the one button you really can use aside from pause during a dialogue scene. I find that interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's my take on it. That's my belief. If you are a final fantasy 10 to developer listening to this (laughs) podcast, first of all, sorry about all the things I said before. Not really. I mean mean them and you should feel bad, but it was also a long time ago. So don't feel too bad, (laughs) but also, talk to us anyways because i want to know if i'm right about this uh but yeah i i think it's a cool thing obviously it teases i mean at some point we're going to have to talk about because the one thing i do know about the way this game ends is what eventually happens regarding a certain character 
and uh, let's say the potentials of what can happen with said character. Mm. I think at some point, probably the final episode of the season, we're going to have to talk about happy endings. And uh, I, right now where I'm at with this, I am having that moment of like, how much of this is just giving people what they want? You know, how much of this is, you know, I, I did think that Final Fantasy X, even if it ends on a relatively bittersweet note that, you know, maybe has an implication of better at the end, an implication that things might get better. We talked a little bit about this, mm-hmm. how, you know, where do you draw the line between ending on a sorrowful but meaningful note versus providing some level of hope at the end? Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously this does, <laughs> I'm trying to dance around it but depending on what ending you get, they do put a more firm stamp on things and say mm. like, here's what, what could happen. Here's what can happen. And it doesn't really leave a lot up to ambiguity. Uh, and so it does like close the page a little bit in a way that maybe tended not with its final moments. But mm. at the same time, you know, do we always need a happy ending is a question that I'm going to be thinking about mm-hmm. as we get near the end of this game. I'm yeah. not sure what my answer is to that. I th- I do have, because I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows I'm a sucker for sad shit. I, I love when things don't go my way. I love when things don't go anybody's way. But I also think like, on that note, like, do we always need a happy ending? I think there is something to be said about like, the journey that Tintu is about and it is about wanting things for yourself after mm-hmm. you've been, mm-hmm. you know, told through your entire life that you you exist in this world to do one very specific thing for other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's sort of my mindset going into these last few chapters. I'm excited to get into it. And luckily enough, we're going to have some fun folks on to talk about it as well once we get there. Uh, but that's that's it for our coverage today. That is the end of Chapter 3 of Final Fantasy X-2. Already here. Already over the halfway point with this season, which is, I mean, it's felt like a bit of a longer season because obviously the way we broke things up, but it's also now that I'm getting near the end, I'm almost starting to feel sad about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting to, I, I don't know. There's something about final fantasy 10. That's been nice to go back and revisit all of mm-hmm. this finally. And, um, and really examine what's, what's going on here. Um, if you like us, if you like hearing this, if you like hearing what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and, and boost us and help us out. You know, any amount gets you into the backer discord where you can hang out, ask us questions, talk to us, uh, talk to other people who listen to the show. Uh, we always welcome folks to hang out in there and talk a little bit. Uh, the next level up gets you these episodes. The second that Ken has done editing them and granted we are about to start recording a bunch of these all in a row. So you will get a ton of them probably over the next couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. and at the highest level, you can get your name shouted out every week, every episode. Oh, I went so long without doing it, Ken. <laughs> I mean, you did it <laughs> early in this episode. I just decided not to say anything. Ah, uh, okay, good. I broke the seal already. Now I'm just mm. tipping the can. Uh, <laughs> uh, this episode, almost did it again. This episode, uh, those, those folks who boosted us at that top level are just Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, and Shane Erickson. Thank you all so much for contributing and helping out and boosting all the things we do. We appreciate it. 
Uh, and if you if you can't support monetarily, that's cool. This is not Kenanai's job. This is not our uh, main source of income. But uh, we do want more people to listen. We want more people to hear the crit that we're doing. We love it when people shout us out on social media. Uh, and if you want to help us spread around the podcast sphere and in the general gaming podcast space, uh, you're listening to this on a podcatcher of your choice. Maybe go leave a review, leave a good rating, leave a five star. Five Can't star. Get mad if you don't leave five, a five star. star. You know, like, follow, subscribe, share with your friends. Leave a five star. We just want more people to listen. We want more people to share the love because we are gearing up for the Cyberpunk 2077 season. And while I love Final Fantasy X and X-2, and surprisingly, it has been a popular season for us uh, in terms of listeners. Yeah, uh, like, very, like, I was looking at the numbers today, and I was like, the only show that has done as well, as, or has done better than ten for us was Mass Effect. Yeah, yeah, which is wild to think about. Mm-hmm. When you think about the past stuff we've done, Jade Empire, I, I understand Jade Empire is a little niche, but Last of Us, this, you know, beating out The Last of Us is impressive, so uh, it was it's nice to have folks turn up for the old games, but we're going right into a new game. And what someone say is a controversial game mm-hmm. at that. And and one definitely right for, let's say a reassessment in 2022. And that's cyberpunk 2077 with the new patch. Uh, very much looking forward to talking about this game and re-examining what it is in light of everything and what it was and what it's been and what it's meant for the industry. And we're going to bring on a lot of people. I mean, our Mm. list is massive in terms of the people that we are reaching out to and trying to bring on and talk a little bit about what exactly has been, you know, what exactly cyberpunk is. Uh, our, our list is already fantastic. I'm already very excited about it. So, uh, if you want to boost that, if you want more people to listen around and, and hang out and, and chat, you know, just share with your pals. But chapter four is coming up next, along with a guest. We will have our next and last guest of the season, which mm-hmm. will be a surprise. But I will tease that it is a returning returning voice for the podcast series, one that Ken and I are very excited to have back on. And we'll talk about the brief the brief visit of chapter four and all that it entails before we head into chapter five, the full ending of the game, and then into the various extended Final Fantasy <laughs> X media. <laughs> really just gonna go out on the lowest note we can. Oh, I'm I'm so thrilled to get to that episode, listeners at home. You have no idea how excited I am for this episode, the the final episode of the season. It's gonna be great. <laughs> oh, Final Fantasy X will more like will not, please. <laughs> oh, until then, for Ken, for myself, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on Normandy FM. <laughs>